Endurance Defined by Endo Podcast with your host and endometriosis warrior, Teniola Ogunro. Created for and dedicated to women who have been diagnosed with endometriosis or who suffer from symptoms that they suspect to be caused by endometriosis. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for a weekly dose on everything endo. If you find this podcast inspiring, please share with your friends and family. Let's spread the word and inspire and empower women all over the world. Please note that I am not a medical professional. So whatever I share on this podcast is to raise awareness and inspire. Please always speak to your medical professional before making any major changes to your diet or lifestyle. With that said, let's get right to it. Today's episode brings joy to my soul. Living with chronic illness is a huge burden, one that sometimes feels too heavy to carry. How do we keep our smile? How do we rise above sickness and remember that there's more to life than just pain and more pain? Speaking with lovely endo warrior slash boss slash badass, Cam Williams definitely reminded me to choose joy. Cam's joy is contagious and you wouldn't believe everything she has been through. She refuses to let illness define her life and she's here to share her journey with us today. So sit back, relax, and let's have a listen. Hi, Cam. How are you? Hi. <laughs> it's so lovely to catch up with you today. <laughs> and then we have a fit of the giggles. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I love meeting and getting to know fellow endo sisters, especially ones like you who have refused to let chronic illness define them. So welcome and thank you so much. Thank you. So can you tell our listeners a bit about your story? Who is Cam Williams and what led her here? <laughs> well, um, my name is Cam, Cam Williams, and I started out as a journalist. And I started out having symptoms of endometriosis and serious pelvic floor dysfunction when I was 13 years old. It took 10 years for me to get a diagnosis. And I was super persistent. I was at doctor's offices every month, sometimes every week. I was at clinics, sometimes twice a week in college. Um, And again, I was 23 before I was diagnosed. And then once I had my diagnosis, um, things went bad really quickly for me. (laughs) They were already tough, but they got worse. And I decided to move from journalism into medicine. I thought that I might get better access if I was working in medicine and ended up being a medical consultant, a healthcare executive, building clinics around the world, and still wasn't getting the cure or the help that I was looking for with my endometriosis. In fact, things went from bad to worse. I ended up being injured in my second endometriosis surgery. Um, The nerves in my pelvis were cut, so I lost bowel and bladder control. And I had really intensive recoveries that took years and years and years. This was all happening in my late 20s. So I spent my late 20s to my late 30s going through medical difficulties of the extreme variety. Uh, At the same time, I was researching chronic illnesses like multiple sclerosis and lupus, uh, fibromyalgia, because there was more research on them than endometriosis. And so I began to see the overlap between MS, lupus, HIV, 
uh, fibromyalgia and what I was experiencing as an endometriosis patient and ended up coaching people who had MS, lupus, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, and endometriosis and how they could preserve their health and then start to rebuild their health, which led to me becoming um, a health coach and a consultant. Fantastic. So you spoke about chronic illnesses and um, you've got experience being a patient yourself, even though I don't like to say you're a patient, but... um, it's so, the truth. Yeah. So everyone with a chronic illness um, is familiar with flares. So how do you identify flare triggers and how do you manage and control your flares? So I find that there are five or six major flare triggers that most people encounter. The big one that we are, the big ones are the ones that we encounter day to day. They're typically food and stress. So that can be social stress. That can be work stress. That can be the stress of the uncertainty of not knowing what's going on with you, not having answers, having a really long time getting a diagnosis. And then food is the other big trigger that we encounter day to day. A lot of us are, have developed um, sensitivities to certain foods, allergies to certain foods, or certain foods just don't agree with us, but will con- uh, persist in eating them because they taste good and we're accustomed to them and culturally they're familiar. And so there are comfort zones. Mm-hmm. Additionally, our flares are our actual brain. So after you've been in pain for six weeks, your brain stops making a distinct, like stops distinguishing between you've had an injury and something's going on. So when you have an injury, your brain is like, okay, let's get this fixed. Let's go to the doctor. Let's get a cast or whatever we need to do. When you've lived with pain for more than six weeks, your brain is like, oh, whole situation's out the door. We don't know what's going on. Let's just press the button. We're at alarm five for the rest of our lives. So treating chronic pain is very different from treating traumatic injury pain. Another, you know, um, trigger that, causes a flare is typically lack of rest. So that sometimes walks hand in hand with stress, but a lot of spoonies or people with chronic illness and chronic pain do not get enough rest for a variety of reasons, whether it's anxiety or depression or chaotic environments. And without that rest, your body doesn't get to recharge and restore itself. So those are some of the major triggers that I found contribute to a flare. And they're the most common with not just my clients, but other people that I talk to or living with chronic illness. Right. So how do you, um, you know, when you identify them, your flares, so food and rest, um, speaking of food, especially, because even though food is one of the triggers that we can control, it's kind of, I would say, I wouldn't say the hardest, but it's one that is... It's hardest. Hard. It's the hardest. <laughs> it's really hard because you, most of the time you actually know don't, you shouldn't eat this, but somehow you, can't, you basically can't help yourself. So how do you keep yourself strong in that regard? Like what do you do to make sure that you don't eat foods that are, you're sensitive to or that cause your flares? So one of the first things you can do is get a food sensitivity test. And also um, a lot of insurances will actually pay for you to get your your allergy testing done. So food allergy testing. Once you do that, and like I came back with my food allergy testing recently and I had developed an allergy to wheat, rice, and oats. All three were foods that I ate. Rice. Like three. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, for a little while, I just was like, I can't do anything with that. <laughs> I refuse to do anything with that. But I noticed, you know, because I was having really persistent, super high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And then my blood pressure would drop. And then, like, drop really far to into the very normal range. And then I would eat something, and it would go back through the roof again. And I, was, and I would have heart palpitations. And, you know, so all of these things that my body was telling me, this doesn't work. And I just didn't want to deal with it because I was like, I'm never going to have bread pudding again. I'm never going to have beans and rice again, like chicken and rice again, jollof rice again. Like, rice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how am I never going to eat these foods again? I think you really have to approach it from it's not that you will never have these foods again. It's that you need to have these foods less frequently. So what I began to do was I committed myself to... I will not eat these foods for three days. Let my body hit some sense of normalcy, and then I will go back to whatever I need to do to make this work. Like, I will have a smaller quantity of this food. I will have this food every three days, and then every four days, and then every five days. So you just kind of wean yourself off of eating those foods so frequently. And your body starts to appreciate it. Your body rewards you for being so consistent. In terms of rest, I found that I had to speak, I had to watch an episode of Super Nanny, that show Super Nanny on YouTube. And that was what like helped me figure out, oh, I need a nighttime routine. I have to put myself to bed the same way you would put a toddler to bed. So that means, you know, start turning out the lights, start turning off the power on all of my devices, like turn off the power because otherwise you'll be like it laying in the dark and you'll be like, Oh my God, I forgot to look at this thing. Let me just look at it really quick. Yeah. Right. That's not, that's, and then two hours later, you've missed your bedtime entirely, you know, set up a routine for yourself, just like you were a little kid. And that routine will really pay off for you. Make sure you have light blocking curtains. Make sure that your bed is as comfortable as possible. If your mattress is uncomfortable, get a mattress pad, get a pillow that really works for you. Like this is all about prioritizing your health and your rest and what you eat are two of the biggest ways you can take control without really spending much money or, you know, being in a doctor's office. Thank you. So let's talk about mental health. Ah. Ah, The big one. (laughs) The big one. (laughs) So like, you know, um, you know, depression, anxiety, ETC are very common among women with chronic illnesses. Um, How do you suggest that we bring more awareness and light to this? And what tips would you suggest that we adhere to um, so as to help with our mental health while dealing with um, chronic conditions like endometriosis? So I think one of the biggest things is to change our expectations of yourself. Like if you were in, if you were walking down the street and you're on the sidewalk and a car was coming down the road and it jumped the curb and it hit you, you would not expect yourself to work the same way, to parent the same way, to spouse the same way, or to partner the same way, your expectations of yourself would change. Other people's expectations of you would change as well. You would be in a body cast, or you would have a cast all over your whole left side. Well, when you have a chronic illness, especially an invisible illness, you don't get the validation of people seeing how sick you are. Yeah. 
and you don't get the validation of seeing yourself as a sick person, but it's the exact same amount of trauma. When you get a diagnosis, you've already been in pain for some years, usually, and your pain is deepening, you're uncertain, it's very destabilizing. Yeah. You have to think to yourself, I got hit by a car. I have to change the way I live my life now. It doesn't mean that the quality of your life should diminish. It means that the way you engage with your life has to change. It's the same as if you have a kid. You can't do the same things with a kid that you did before you had a kid. It's when you get married, you can't do the same things once you get married, when, before you were married. You're not a single person anymore. Well, you're not a person who doesn't have a chronic illness anymore. So that's one of the first things. That's the biggest thing I see with people is, and that I experienced myself. I was you know, so stuck in, I don't want this to change me. Meanwhile, it was changing me every day, every minute of every day. Yeah, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. Here's the thing. It can enhance the quality of your life. It can put you light years ahead of your peers because you get to take your life more seriously. You get to learn so much more. You develop, you develop serious skills in terms of advocating for yourself, communicating with professionals in the medical field. You get so many skills you wouldn't otherwise have access to. But if you're focused on what you think you're losing, you're going to be depressed. You're going to be totally screwed. Yeah. Now, that's situational depression. My experience was more along my brain chemistry changed. I was so sick for so long. I was actually bedridden for a couple of years. So my brain chemistry began to change, even though like my default personality is really upbeat and you know, really optimistic. My brain couldn't produce the chemicals because I was on bed rest for so long. Mm -hmm. In those cases, you need to get therapy. You need to talk to someone who can prescribe for you. You need talk therapy. There was a point in time where I had two health coaches and a therapeutic relationship and I was going into group therapy. Wow. Like you have to invest in yeah. your own healing. You're worth it. You yeah. have so much to bring to the world. And if you can just put one foot in front of the other and change your expectations of yourself and understand that your life is not going to go according to what a magazine says. It's going to be different, but it might actually be better. You will skip a lot of the depression that comes along with illness. I see. One of the things I actually struggle with, like you rightly mentioned, is um, like you said, depression. I'm feeling like you're missing out, um, comparing yourselves with your friends. So I struggle with, you know, um, everyone is go, going after their dreams, but their dreams are happy dreams. You know, mm -hmm. mine is like, Oh my God, how do I move on to the next day? How do I, you know, live without pain? So it just feels unfair. And mm -hmm. you, sometimes you just can't help but feel depressed or feel really sad. So how do you maintain, even with everything you've been through and um, you know, how did you bring yourself up and how do you maintain joyful living? How do you choose life and happiness and joy, even when everything you wants to give up? <laughs> well, there was definitely a time where I felt exactly like what you expressed. Um, you know, I had had one surgery and I was trying to avoid a second surgery because I knew I was going to need more surgeons. You know, like my first surgery was one surgeon and an assistant surgeon. And when I woke up, he was like, you're going to need another surgery and you're going to need three more surgeons in on this. And, you know, and I was just like, I can't. 
And at the same time, you know, my friends were landing the positions that they wanted in the cities where they wanted to live. And I was moving back home to live with my parents. And to me, that was so bleak. Yeah. And I was fortunate because I had a cousin who had serious chronic illness. And I would call her crying and she would say, I know it feels unfair, but you are doing the best thing you can do for yourself. You have to be able to trust that this valley you're walking through was designed just for you and that you will walk out on the other side of it and you will be a better, stronger, more resilient version of yourself. So, you know, it's so easy to look at somebody else's Instagram posts and read somebody else's highlights and not realize they're doing all the stuff that they seem to want to do and they feel empty inside. Sure. And so like, if you fast forward five years past, you know, when I moved back home to move with my parents, I stayed with my parents for like 90 days, (laughs) you know, I just wasn't built to live with them. So I got a job pretty quickly. I had already started transitioning from journalism into medicine. I found a really good consulting gig in medicine that absolutely changed my life. I met my partner of 13 years at that gig. You know, I traveled the world because of that gig. I shot past all of my peers because I took this big risk to invest and to take care of myself. I couldn't see it when I started. But within 120 days, all the changes were starting to happen. What I see a lot of the time is people getting paralyzed to make changes for themselves, to protect and to heal and to take care of themselves because the change means they're going to do something different than their peer group. Your peer group doesn't have it figured out. And within five years, I was talking to peers who had gotten married while I was sick, who had disappeared while I was sick, who had unfriended me while I was sick. And they were coming back and they were like, I'm in a crisis. I don't know how to navigate any of this. I'm you know, severely depressed. I know you've been through this. Can you help me? Well, yeah, I can help you because I've been there. And I did it five years ago when you didn't make time for me, but I'll make time for you because I'm bigger. Than, than that. So yeah. that would be my recommendation. Don't be afraid of making necessary changes. A lot of times we fight and the energy we put into fighting yeah. is energy we could be using for way more productive things. Very true. <laughs> Have you found yourself in a state of self-sabotage? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think food is my biggest one. Like I just sometimes I'm like, I've been eating well, you know, for two days now. I just have to eat this. I will have this croissant, you know, because I deserve it. I deserve it. Yeah. And there are times I've actually Googled, why do I keep self-sabotaging? Like, I need answers. So have you found yourself in that state? And not just food, you know, relationships, lifestyle choices, you know, Mm -hmm. career choices. How did you go about it how did you fight it how did you overcome it well this is what I this is what I would say um a lot of people don't like discipline because you know discipline requires sacrifices up front and rewards on the back end yeah but I grew up in a military family and so discipline was always a big part of my life my parents were extremely strict I grew up in a very religious family 
and we were military and we were traveling all the time. So it was like, I'm getting it from all sides. <laughs> and what I found is one of the biggest things you can do for yourself is decrease the number of decisions you have to make every day. Okay. So the things I don't do, I do not choose what clothes I'm going to wear day to day. I basically, uh, when I was working in a corporate environment, I had the same dress and I would wear it every day. And I just had it in different colors. Um, and that was it. So that way you're not making, because the more decisions you make, the less willpower you have. Yeah. So if you eat the same thing for breakfast, you eat the same thing for lunch, you eat the same thing for dinner. And then on Sundays, you have a croissant. You know you're having a croissant, and that's just what it is. Or you do it on Saturday so you can sleep it off on Sunday, which yeah. is a better strategy. Yeah. And <laughs> you put some discipline and some structure around letting off that steam. Additionally, you know, if you have tasks for work that you have to do, do A task on Monday, B task on Tuesday, C task on Wednesday. Don't try to do them all. Yeah. And then you have to, again, it goes back to trusting yourself. It goes back to liking yourself. Yes, I used to self-sabotage in a big way. Like, I was on opiates for 15 years, and they make your brain really cloudy. I would say, it, to me, it always felt like somebody had put a mattress on my brain. And so that meant that for two years, I was at McDonald's every night at 2 o'clock in the morning. Every night. I gained 30 pounds in two years. Wow. But that was my way of comforting myself because I wasn't taking care of myself in many other ways. Like okay. I was taking a lot of risks with my life when I traveled. Um, I wasn't choosing healthy relationships at that point. You know, I was choosing relationships with people who uh, were what's called an avoidant attachment style. So, you know, they didn't want to be around me and I had to chase them. But I also had an avoidant attachment style. So once I would get them, I would disappear. And it was just a mess, you know, yeah. like unhealthy people, unhealthy relationships, unhealthy food. Uh, Dr. Phil says this thing where he's like, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So if you're neglecting yourself, if you're not feeding yourself well, if you're undisciplined and disorganized in one area, you're doing all those things in another area too, but you can't afford to do it with your health. So that's one of the biggest things, like stop making so many decisions, decide what you're going to eat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then allow yourself to just follow your plan. And then give yourself a break one day of the week to not have to be disciplined. And it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So you just look forward to that one day and just say, I can do this. <laughs> I can do whatever I want on Saturday because I can sleep it off Sunday. And then Monday, I'm good again. Yeah, true. So going through your work, um, I read a post you wrote about the ham sandwich life. Yay! I, I thought it was a very interesting concept so I had never th thought of or heard of it before so can you tell our audience a bit about what this is all about well it's uh named after a comment that was made by Warren Buffett who is this multi-billionaire investor and he was talking about why he invested in the company Coca-Cola and he said he invested in the company Coca-Cola because a ham sandwich could run it like the company was just so simple to run. Now that really pissed off the CEO of Coke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would piss me off as well. 
How you dare you? You're this multi-billion dollar company. But what he was saying was, it's too hard to mess up. Everything at Coke has a system Mm. and it runs according to its system. Mm. And that's it. And so they think about things ahead of time and they don't think about them after that. They just set them in motion and they let them run. It's like when you automate your bills, you know, you tell the bank how much you want to pay every month on a particular bill. You set, you press go, and then you don't think about it again. Well, I've thought about that in terms of my life because your life has so many moving parts. And I was like, man, I don't have a hundred percent to give most days. I don't have a hundred percent to give most years. So if I only have 25 or 35% of what I think my real energy is, mm-hmm. why am I trying to give 100% here and 100% at work and 100% to my family and 100% to my partner and 100% to my parents and just disappointing myself and making myself depressed? So I just said, well, okay, everybody now gets 35%. That's my ham sandwich. I'm gonna let my life run. If something goes wrong, I'll address the thing that goes wrong when it goes wrong. And here's the crazy thing. Most things didn't go wrong. Like our lives aren't that complicated. If you miss a bill, you can pay it up to three days later, a week later, a month late. Like, you know, like these rules that we give ourselves are not necessarily the truth and they harm us and they keep us from enjoying our lives. So my ham sandwich life is that most days I'm operating at 25 to 35% of my real capacity. Even if I have a lot, like every morning I get up and I go for a bike ride, I don't time it. I just ride until I start to feel a little bit tired, not tired, a little bit tired. And then I'm like, okay, time to put the bike up. I'm a little tired, which means that if I go a little bit longer, I will hit full blown fatigue. I'm putting my bike up. I'm good. This is great for me. That's a brilliant way of thinking about it. And I think, I think it relates and connects to the stress because we mm-hmm. end up being so stressed, trying to do it all, trying to be right. healthy, trying to be, do this at work, trying to, and we have to remember that we're also dealing with the chronic illness. So I think right. something I'm, I might be, you know, doing because I have that problem where I'm trying to do it all. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always wanting to do this and do it to the fullest capacity. And I guess that that affects me um, at yes. times as well. So, yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. And I, I would definitely give this a try and see how. Definitely do. Because yeah. the stress and the fatigue that you create when you're pushing yourself like that, we tend to think of it as, and this is something I didn't say when you asked me about flares. Most people don't realize your flare started five days before it showed up. So you're thinking, oh, you know, you're starting to feel the pain or the nausea or whatever you're experiencing with your flare. And you're thinking, crap, what did I do yesterday? It wasn't yesterday. It was five days ago you did it. It just takes that long for your brain to say, oh, well, Rogers, we have a problem. Let's just go ahead and shut this whole production down. 
And so when you look back five days, you can see the food that you did. You can see how stressed out you were. You can see all of these things that you did. And then maybe you didn't take a rest day after you did those things. You didn't yeah. take a couple of days to like unwind after you had a heated argument with somebody that you love, or you had a really bad day at work or a really bad week at work, but you did all kinds of social activities over the weekend and didn't give yourself sufficient time to wind down. And then you did some comfort eating and, you know, and so <laughs> it was five days before. And so if you're thinking, what am I doing that I'm going to pay for in five days? You start acting differently. You don't take on as much. You say, no, thank you much more. And you get into your own version of the ham sandwich life, which I got to be honest, is super pleasurable. Like my life is so golden. So that's what I want for other people. I want them to be able to increase their creativity, enjoy their lives, enjoy their families, put meaningful work into the world and love themselves because we're all deserving of that. Lovely answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. So tell us a bit about momentum and um, staying motivated to push through your goals. So many of us start and stop start and stop and somehow it feels like you you're, you're always starting and never making progress so how do we keep momentum and stay motivated to push through our goals so can i tell you a story yes of course, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> when i decided that i wanted to build a platform on social media I reached out to a friend of mine who has built multiple seven-figure social media businesses, and I said I wanted to work with him. And I was really nervous because, like everyone else with chronic illness, I have natural limitations on my energy, on my ability, on my focus. I still have sick days. I don't have sick months or sick years anymore, but I have sick days, and those can be disruptive when I have plans. And so I was talking to him and, you know, he was saying, oh, you know, most of my clients at three months, they have these things going for them. And, you know, da, 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 da. I got off the call and I really thought and I prayed and I called him back and I said, I just wanted to make sure what someone else does in three months might take me six or nine months. Right. Will you stick with me through that process? And he was like, of course. I believe in what you're doing. I want to see you succeed. And so that's the kernel of my answer. Okay. A lot of times we'll start a project and need to stop, to rest, to recover. You can end up stopping for a week or a month and it doesn't matter. Just start again. Okay. Pick up where you left off. Give yourself permission. Because here's what I found. When you stop, your brain doesn't stop. Yeah. And so when you put something down, you get a deeper understanding of it and you go back to it and you can refine it. Like your brain is constantly working, even in your subconscious, refining that idea, refining that plan. So don't be afraid to put it down. Let yourself rest. And then the day that you wake up and you feel really freaking good and it's on your mind, pick it back up again. And just go with the ebb and the flow of how your body actually works and you'll get things done so much more quickly. You know, a lot of times we're like, oh, I'm going to miss this deadline that I arbitrarily set for myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing because it's true. <laughs> it's <so> true. 
so many. Oh my goodness. You need to see my phone and my apps and my deadlines. And I'm like, oh God. And now I have lots of undone tasks. And I'm like, actually, I set all this for myself. So. I'm completely in charge here. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm torturing yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah, like I have... Um, a program I've been talking about starting called build a business from bed because you know, like you like see these like magazines and they're like, don't work from your bed, you know, go go out to Starbucks and work there. And I'm like, yeah, so Starbucks has really uncomfortable seating and I'm an introvert and it gives me the hives to be around that many people. Like I do great work from bed. And when I wake up is when my, I'm the freshest. And so that's when I do my writing. That's when I focus on my content. That's when I set my schedule. And then I might go back to sleep after that. Right. You're not going to hear about that somewhere. And again, like we get so much advice on set a deadline for yourself. If it's, you know, if it doesn't have a deadline, it's not real. Calling BS. (laughs) It's real if you want to do it. If your heart is in it, it's real. You're not going to forget, or, I mean, you can have brain fog and might get kind of fuzzy about it, but if you've written it down somewhere, you're going to find that note and you're going to be like, oh, I'm ready to write the next part of that. You have to be so gentle with yourself and you can learn so much from professional creatives who, you know, court the muse of getting something done. So, you know, I would say, take those deadlines out of your phone. Choose the three things or just the one thing that matters the most to you. Yeah. And see how long it takes you to come to a place of feeling completion around it. Right. Just work away at it. It doesn't matter if it takes a year. The time is going to pass anyway. You might as well do it, you know, but telling yourself I have to do this in two months and then you spend one month sick, just going to make you crazy. Yeah. Very true. (laughs) Very true. That's interesting. Yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot, <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be. I'm so I'll glad. Many of these techniques and and um, ways of being, ways of living, and hopefully it would help and help our our listeners as well. So I, I know so. you're a, you're a health coach, right? So tell us a bit about your coaching services what you offer the kinds of people you speak to and how people might reach you okay so let's i'll go backwards the way that you can reach me uh you can reach out to me on social media at cam loves life it's l-u-v-s so cam loves l-u-v-s life that's on facebook and on instagram um who i work with i work with people who are high functioning and who have serious chronic illness. So that includes multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, HIV, um, lupus, endometriosis, of course, and fibromyalgia. Yeah, by high functioning, I mean you're working or you want to work, and you have worked in the past, um, that you have had a psychotherapy relationship in the past, or you have one now, because a coach works differently than a therapist. A coach, we look forward at what you want to do in the future. And a therapist is looking behind or back at what has already happened. Um, I do work with people who don't have diagnoses, but who have serious chronic illness and chronic pain symptoms. 
like at this point, I'm kind of a walking medical encyclopedia. So people can usually tell me like three symptoms that they have. And I can be like, this is a doctor you need to talk to. They're going to give you your diagnosis. And this is going to be your diagnosis. Um, <laughs> which is kind of a weird skill to have. Um, additionally, I work with people who are, you know, fairly focused on what they want. So a lot of times in the chronic illness community, chronic illness can become the thing that we use to excuse so much of our life. And I don't play that game. Like, I've had to fight to stay alive. I take life very seriously. Like, I'm a very happy person, but I'm a very serious person about this. And so I like to work with people who are very serious about prioritizing their health and finding the best way to show up in the world. So that's my one-to-one coaching, which I do mostly infrequently at this point. I usually take on one client at a time just because one-to-one coaching is really time consuming. Right. I have a course that I'm releasing in September. It's called In the Nightmare. And it's to basically focus on those issues that I start working with people one-to-one on in terms of how to prioritize your health, how to disclose your health condition at work, with family, with people that you're dating, how to stop a flare, how to understand your flares, how to improve your underlying health so your body can fight off inflammation better, and how to you know get yourself queued up to start achieving the life that you want. So that's called In the Nightmare. It's coming out September 17th, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, well done. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And, you know, most of my work I give away for free. I do it on social media. Um, I do podcast interviews like this one with you. Mm. And I just try to make sure that I'm putting my voice out there to let people know you may have a diagnosis. It doesn't have to end your life. It could be the very beginning. Yeah. So just putting that message out there. Thank you so much, Cam. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored. what's your final advice for us? before we go today? (laughs) Um, My final advice would be a lot of times we think that the dream is to lose the disease and it's not. The dream is to live like the disease isn't there. So if you can allow yourself to consider you can keep your disease, you can keep your diagnosis, you can have a great life, but you're going to have to change and the whole world is open to you. And I wish you the very best. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can also text me at, this is a U.S. number, 404-647-4951. Again, that's 404-647-4951. And I can add you to my email newsletter um, and keep you abreast of any products that I have coming out soon. Thank you so much, Cam. I love what you just said. Um, Leave like the disease isn't there. So I think that's my mantra from today. Leave like Yay! the disease isn't there. <laughs> I'm so happy. Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And, and one more thing, choose joy. I choose joy. joy. Yes. <laughs> it's always a choice and it is well worth it. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me, Tinny. Thank I'm you so, so happy much. Yes, thank you. So good to speak to you. So I had such an amazing time with Cam today. I hope you did too. She tells us how to take the fear out of flares and how to choose life even when we want to give up. Cam offers coaching services to help you take your life back from sickness and be your best self. There are also lots of insightful articles on her website 
www.camwilliams.co. Sign up for her newsletter and learn three simple strategies to delay, diminish, and erase flares from your life. You can also find her on Instagram at camlovelife. Cam, L-U-V-S, life. All this information can be found in the show notes. Until next time, I am Tanya Ogunro. And remember, you are not defined by endo.